Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the You Love and You Learn podcast. I am excited for you to hear today's episode. Today, I sit down with Elizabeth Overstreet, who has been featured on ABC, CBS, NBC, The New York Times, and other publications as a trusted love and relationship strategist who keeps things real. Through her expert coaching and motivational speaking, she's known for creating personalized practical roadmaps to happier, more satisfying relationships with others and yourself. She's based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and partners with individuals, couples, and companies globally to help them with their relationship to themselves and others. And it was a really great conversation where we did unpack how the relationship we have to ourself affects how we show up in relationship to others and talked about different strategies to not only strengthen that relationship to self, but also to other people. So I'm really excited for you to hear the episode and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining the You Love and You Learn podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me on today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to talking to you. And one thing that really stood out to me is that you call yourself the love strategist. And I thought that was such a cool name because, I don't know, I would love to hear first what it means to you and then kind of what I interpreted as actually uh, when I first came across it. But can you share more about how you came to call yourself that? Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's interesting in life that we, when we endeavor to do something, that we go through a lot of angst of figuring it out. We get mentors, we, you know, go and study all the best ways to do that particular thing, whether it's like getting a promotion at work or going into a certain career. But when it comes to love, we're a little more haphazard about it. And I, I just think that when you are in a relationship, there's a lot of intentionality that goes into it. And there is a strategy to relationships that are successful. It might not be something that's ironclad where people have a bunch of rules written out, but there are strategies that do work with relationships. And we have enough evidence now to see that. And so I just think that when people approach relationships, that there should be more intentionality and it shouldn't be as haphazard and that we should be willing to go into it the same way when we're learning a new craft or a new skill or a new hobby, really digging deep into understanding all the nuances of relationships. Yeah, I think that's so powerful because that's exactly what I was thinking is that at first you don't think of love as needing a strategy almost because of these romance movies or just the narratives of like, well, love should just be easy and come naturally. And so when I saw the word strategist, I really resonated with it because I do believe that there is strategy to it, but it almost doesn't sound as sexy as people want yeah. love to be, uh, to have a strategy. Have you ever come across that uh, resistance with your work? Oh, absolutely. People are definitely still looking for the butterflies and the excitement of a relationship. And I think that does exist in a relationship. We're not robots. Uh, love is very much emotion-based too. But I do think there's other components of it that we miss because we focus so much on the more generic parts of the relationship. And that's why you see a lot of relationships that start very strong, but then they falter over time. And I mean, it's, it, it, and the reality is we see a lot of rom romantic movies that present relationships a certain way. We see a lot of reality shows that present relationships a certain way. And we tune into those shows for different reasons, but it's really not creating that realistic view of a relationship because once the cameras are off, we're not really getting the, the full view. We're only getting snapshots or one point of that relationship. But I think because those are constantly reinforced, that's what people naturally lean into. And I'm always surprised by that. But when I'll talk to people, they'll literally repeat something <laughs> they've seen and they'll say, yeah, I'm this too. And I'm like, what? I'm like, wait a minute, let's talk about that. And so I, I think it's really important that we have these conversations and honestly talk about what a relationship encompasses. So when people get into a relationship, they know what real looks like versus what they think it might be. Mm, yes, I believe that is so true. And when I was looking more into your story, there was something really powerful you shared, which was that part of your journey was realizing that you were playing a part in self-sabotaging relationships in your life. And I'd love to talk more about that because I think that's something that can happen very easily and often unintentionally, of course. Um, but I'd love to hear like maybe a little bit more about how that showed up for you and then how someone else can begin to identify if they may be in self-sabotaging patterns. Yeah. So I literally fell into becoming a relationship coach quite accidentally. So I want 
people to know that when I take off my relationship hat, I still have the same struggles, the same challenges that you do. It's just, I have a little more awareness around it, but still I forget. And still in that moment, I'm human. I'm not a, a robot. I have emotional responses just like everyone else does. So to your point, you know, when I look at like some of the things that would happen in relationships and I really started analyzing what was going on in my relationships, I realized there was this self-accountability piece I was missing. It was easy to look at the other side and constantly say, well, it's this thing in them or why do I attract this? But I really had to get deep with myself and realize that I had a contributing factor because I was the common denominator in those relationships too. And there's this great quote where it says, you know, you're 50% of the problem and 100% of the solution. And Mm -hmm. that quote resonated with me when something happened in my life. So I had a friend and we were having a conversation. He says to me, you know, I was complaining about a relationship and he said, it's you. And I'm like, what? That was not the support I was thinking (laughs) that I needed at that moment. I was waiting for my friend to jump in and say, it's them. And he said, it's you. And so I went to bed. I remember being like, it's me. I don't get it. And so then I went back to my friend and I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you're the one choosing these situations. And then you're also acting in this way. And it it was a really good, it was good feedback because they had had a chance to observe me from the outside. And I think you could relate to this, Sarah. This is what we do as coaches. You know, it's the hardest person to see is ourselves. So even though I'm a coach, I cannot always see how someone else is seeing me. I can't see how someone else is seeing me in a relationship unless I dig into that out of curiosity and ask them. So it was really funny. I went back to them. We had a conversation and I said, they're right. I started looking at my relationships. I even went back to people I had dated before. And I was like, tell me about like your experience and what you perceived. And I was able to start picking up on what I call like your relationship blind spots. We all have them. Every one of us has a red flag. You know, everyone has something that they do that either when they're triggered or they're not triggered, it's just part of our habit. And so I want people to feel like it's okay that they can actually get past it. But we spend years operating this way in our relationships. And the only way to really shift it is to kind of analyze and look at it differently and reflect and then change the behavior. And even when you're changing something, it's still easy to go back to what's comfortable. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. What I took away from that is sometimes the other person isn't the only one with red flags that you actually might have some of your own to look into. Yeah, like I would be sometimes in relationships with people who were great. And I I would sometimes be looking for a reason or for something to go wrong or for the shoot the other shoe to drop. I mean, I think when you go through difficult situations, so I've been married before, then I got divorced. I dated as a single person, then I dated as a divorcee slash single parent, and then I remarried. But through all those journeys, I had to really like figure out some things. Like one thing I was not good at doing was like, I was choosing people who were emotionally unavailable. And then where they were emotionally unavailable, I'm like, they're not showing up for me emotionally, but it was almost like a safeguard so that I wouldn't get hurt in a way. Like I knew the behavior would happen. I could capitalize on that as opposed to being accountable and saying, Hey, you're choosing people who have this characteristic. And so I think it's hard sometimes for people to get real with themselves on relationships because you really do have to say, I am not perfect at this thing. I have a challenge in this area. And that could feel really uncomfortable. It's like going to therapy. At first, people think, okay, I'm going to go to therapy. <laughs> Especially if you're a couples therapy, they're going to tell my significant other what they need to do, blah, blah, blah. You hear this a lot with people. And then they get in therapy and realize, oh, shoot, this is about me. And some people pull back from that process because they don't want to really delve into it. And then some people dig deeper and they come out with some real eye-opening aha moments of like things they've been doing that they, that once they change, it totally shifts their relationships with themselves, with others, how they operate in their life. So it's not an easy journey, but I think sometimes you have to get uncomfortable to get comfortable, right? So that journey can help you eventually get to the relationship you want. So I I focus a lot on healthy relationships and I'm passionate about it, but I do think one piece I talk about a lot is the self-accountability piece um, because without it, it's really hard to flourish in a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk to you about both of those pieces. Definitely. One more thing on this thread of that self-accountability. If you notice that, let's, let me give an example. So let's say I'm working with someone or I am the someone and I say, my partner just doesn't listen to me. Right. But there's 
of course, some self-accountability piece of, okay, well, how am I speaking to them? That makes it maybe hard for them to hear me. You know what I mean? So how do you, if someone acknowledges I'm doing things and no one, like it's not working in my relationship, I feel like there's a missing link and maybe I'm part of the problem and I'm sabotaging it in some way. They come to this aha moment. What then can they do to actually take action on it? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things whenever we have a problem or a challenge with something is rooted in something. So I'm a big believer in digging into like what has created that. So it's really interesting um, when you think about relationships and how we interact in our relationships. And a lot of it does go back to like our childhood and how we grew up and what we observed and the behaviors we observed. We just pick it up. It's natural. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we carry that into relationships and we don't even know that some of those behaviors aren't healthy until we are challenged by our significant other or our partner on some of those issues. So I think it's really twofold digging into, okay, let's talk about what these scenarios are. What has happened in these scenarios? What was the outcome you wanted, but what was the outcome you achieved? Going back to the other person and asking the hard questions hey, when I, you know, I thought I was being a good listener, but what in your mind told you that I wasn't really being a good listener? Mm-hmm. And it's hard in those moments because you're really challenging yourself on something you think you're good at. And the the normal stance is to become defensive about it. So there's listening to understand and there's, li- there's defensive listening. Defensive listening is when we're in an argument or, a, you know, a discussion with someone we care about. And it's like, They're telling us things, but we are immediately like, no, 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 no. And it's not that what they're saying is always completely right, but what they are saying is their perception of what they think is right. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have that clarification, it's a little easier to hear and then actively come up with a solution for it versus immediately defending. Because as soon as you start defending, we've all been there. We bring someone some critical feedback and they immediately defend. We're just like, okay, why am I even having this conversation? It's frustrating, right? But when someone can actually listen and hear you and say, okay, I can understand why you may have felt that way. It's just that validation and acknowledgement that shifts it. So I think what I do with my my, um, clients is I give them a lot of homework. So if you don't like homework, I'm like, don't come be coached by me (laughs) because I don't believe in just like telling people to to do things. I think it's important to actually go and do the things so that you can shift the behavior. And so I would have that person go to their significant other and ask those questions. I even have had clients where they're like, I I can't figure out what it is about my behavior or certain traits I have. And I've had them go back to exes. I'm not saying unhealthy relationships with exes, but maybe where it didn't work out, but you still left on good terms. Because I do think there's a theme that will come up if we go back and reflect And ask questions, the hard questions, where we'll start to identify and uncover things that were consistent um, in our relationship. So those are a couple of things I do. Like I I love giving people like assignments to try things, to try them differently. And then I love for them to come back with results. And sometimes the results aren't always going to be canned, perfect results. But the point is that in order to shift, you got to do things differently. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think that you're bringing up a great point about how that can be really uncomfortable, like those hard questions, but then the more comfortable you get being uncomfortable, then you'll be able to eventually get to a place where it no longer feels like that behavior is happening as much because you've worked on it and you've actually learned from that other person. So I think it's really great that you're acknowledging that a big piece of that accountability is actually having dialogue about it and not only just reflecting on your own, because sometimes we have those blind spots, as you said. Yeah. I think like when we are by ourselves and we're all self-loved up, you know, I know there's a lot of movement around self-love and I think it's super important, but I think self-love is also recognizing like your, your blind spots. It's also being accountable for your actions. That's an act of self-love too. But I think like the piece I think I want to reiterate to people is as they think of their journey of self-love, if you you can't have that accountability piece, it's like you're you're limited. And I think that's why some people could feel great on their own. And then as soon as they get in a relationship, it's very different because that person you're in a relationship is like holding a mirror up to you. Mm-hmm. They they see all of your 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 <laughs> your imperfections, your flaws, and you the same. Likewise, you see it in them. But what's the challenge is like, how are we going to overcome them? How are we going to deal with our differences? How are we going to meld our differences? How do we sharpen one another and appreciate what one another brings to the table as opposed to constantly trying to like shift someone just into your 
way of thinking. And I think that's where people get shut down where they're like, I don't get it. Like, I feel great about myself. But then when I get in a relationship, it's like, uh, and I think it's because like we get stuck, right? Um, on that relationship, giving us feedback or data about ourselves that we may not really want to invite or hear. So that's the hard part. Such a good point. And that kind of leads me to something I wanted to talk about today, which is that self-love component. And I read that you had said at one point, the hardest person to see and to love is yourself. And I really resonate with that. And I'm a big believer that the relationship we have with ourselves, of course, deeply affects the other relationships in our life. So we are um, both aligned there, but it is really hard to see and love ourselves. And I know that this is something you're passionate about talking about. So can you say more about this self-love, you know, movement that's going on and kind of talking about your perception of it? Yeah. So I I, I want to give people like hope as they're listening that this is not an easy journey. Um, we need to give ourselves grace. None of us are perfect. We're all imperfect humans, number one. Number two, I mean, personally, I, I've went through a lot to get to the point of my understanding now, and I'm still growing. So in my marriage, I constantly have to check myself on things. I have to be open to listening um, to my husband in an active way. I've had to learn how to communicate in a different way in conflict. It's helped me to grow a lot tremendously. Um, but at the same time, I'm still a work in progress. And I think we all are. And so I, I want people to know, like, I'm not sitting here as this person preaching at you, like, hey, if you don't get this right, something's wrong with you. I think we all have, if we're being honest, we all have insecurities. We all, you know, question ourselves to some degree on, on things, even though people can appear outwardly to have everything together. You really don't know what's going on internally. And I think, Sarah, you work with a, a lot, you know, a community as well, like me. I'm always astonished at some of the things people are carrying and how they are getting through it. So please know everyone has some part of their story where there's a little facet that's that's difficult for them or hard or that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So I, I mean, I love the self-love of like giving yourself grace. I love the self-love of not being so hypercritical on yourself because I don't know about you, Sarah, but for me, I am very hypercritical of myself and I have to work on that and say, hey, would I talk to one of my clients like this or would I talk to my friend like this? So self-love is also embracing your flaws, understanding what they are, but understanding how they enrich who you are too. Um, mm-hmm. I think the reason people in our communities listen to different things we say or other people say is because they they want to see that, hey, you're human. There's some part of you that can be vulnerable and understand that of where what where I'm at. And that's what draws people you know, in to to want to go on the journey with you because they're like, okay, if you can get through this journey and you have some insights, I means I can do it too. So I just want people to know that we all have um, that challenge around just like, oh God, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Am I, can I be better? Okay, how did I miss this? Like that is so human of us. And that actually means you have good self-awareness. Mm. So that's a positive actually. I worry about people who don't have any of that because um, I think there's a balance, right? So I just, you know, urge people, yes, the self-love does include the accountability, but the self-love does include self-love, meaning like loving who you are, you know, being authentic in who you are, showing up as who you are, like that's super important as well. Yeah. Two things I took away from that is that it's just constantly a work in progress, but also that it doesn't need to be something that you never give yourself grace for, right? Like I can constantly be growing, but that doesn't mean I have so much growth left and that I should beat myself up. It's just that I can know that I can love myself and also continue growing. So that was one thing I definitely took away. And also to love myself is to love the full part of myself, which is the positive and the quote, quote, negative things or the challenges or the parts that maybe I don't you know, love as much in theory, but then I can bring more compassion and more gentleness and kindness to those areas because they do make up part of us and everyone has them. Yeah. And I, I mean, one person I'll give a shout out to, I don't do any work with her or anything, but Brene Brown has really talked about this a lot. I mean, if people are feeling lost about how to set boundaries, how to show up authentically as themselves, she talks a lot about vulnerability there is power in vulnerability. There is power in expressing emotion. There's power in showing people your your weaknesses and your flaws. Yes, there are some people who will exploit that, but that's a whole nother show. But at the same time, most people who are normal, who have self-awareness really embrace that because that feels real to them. And I, even as I look at her journey, 
the reason I think people are drawn to Brene Brown is because of her showing so much real authenticity, so much vulnerability, her expressing that, hey, even though I'm this person that has all these credentials behind me, all these research hours of the work I've done, yeah, I'm confident in it, but I have moments too where I'm not totally sure too. And there's something very appealing about that. So even as you think about relationships, there's a draw to people knowing that you're strong and confident, but also a draw in knowing that you're human and, and that you have emotions and that you have shortcomings too. It makes you more like holistic and well-rounded in other people's eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So aside from being kind to ourselves, um, and aside from kind of just knowing that it is okay to have these flaws or things that aren't perfect about yourself, is there anything else that you usually share about how to build more self-love in your life? Yeah. So I, I'm so like fortunate to do the work I do. I don't know if you feel this way, but it's the most like purposeful work I've done in my life, honestly. And I've done a lot of great purposeful things. So it's not to negate those other things, but it's just like being able to watch someone transform from not having confidence in themselves or not feeling like they can assert themselves or assert their needs or speak up in a relationship to have what they want or to, to communicate that to a partner is incredibly rewarding. I'm helping families to patch things up, even when they come to this hurdle mm -hmm. in the road where they just feel like they can't overcome it is so empowering. Like I, I, I just, I love watching people and people will like, you know, stay in touch and say, Hey, I'm doing this now. Or I, I never thought I could do this. I've seen people go off and start businesses and just go off and like, you know, maybe renew their vows, get married. Like all of that is so amazing to me because that's the business I'm in is helping people to find healthy love. And I just, I just think it enriches your life in so many ways. So I don't know. I, I know it was a long answer to your question, but um, I just, I, I enjoy that part of just watching people come to that point in their life where they're just like, I appreciate who I am. I know my value. And once that happens, it's like a complete shift in their life and how they operate, how they interact with people, how they interact with themselves, how they take care of their needs. Um, and that is to me just really fun to watch. Yeah. And I think with self-love, what I've learned, and I'm, I'm still very much, you know, practicing loving myself better, but I think it's just in the small moments, right? Like there was a podcast a couple weeks ago that I was supposed to interview and it was at the end of my day and I just had this splitting headache and I was like, I know I'm not going to give the, the best interview. And so I reached out to that person. I was like, I'm so sorry, I'm going to have to reschedule. And that was an act of self-love that was pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. But it creates momentum when you just do those little things for yourself instead of not listening to the voice that says, this isn't going to be great. I don't feel good. I need some rest. You know what I mean? So I totally yeah. agree with you. Totally agree. Like I, I think, you know, I, I recently uh, was talking on TV about like boundaries and boundaries really are act of self-love and we don't think about that. And, you know, I was talking to one of my friends about this yesterday. Sometimes when we give people our boundaries, they don't react positively to it. And I think that could throw people off because they're like, well, I'm setting boundaries for myself and this is my act of self-love. But this person has totally like either, you know, they just kind of aren't communicating with me the same way or their reaction is not what I thought. It doesn't matter in a way because you exercise self-love for yourself. You set a boundary. So now it's clear on the other side what that boundary is. So I agree with you. Like in moments, the small moments are super important. Like when you're too tired to do something or you just don't want to do something, it's okay. It's an act of self-love to say, no, I just, you know what? I wish I could, but I can't. You could, you could do it. You could bow out very respectfully and gracefully, but if that helps nurture who you are, it's okay. I think there's a balance to that. Um, and, and it's important in, in the self-love journey because we think of self-love a lot like, your, to your point, the other in the bigger ways, but there's so many smaller demonstrative ways that you can exercise the self-love with yourself. So I'm yeah. proud of you for saying no and taking that break. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely stuff that I'm continuing to experiment with and just see, you know, how it goes. And I think everyone is capable of just trying one small thing at a time. And I know that self-love is for you. But then, of course, as we acknowledged earlier, it can affect how you're showing up in other areas of your life, like a relationship. So when you're working with a client or in your own experience, how have you found that the love you give to yourself spills over into those other relationships in your life? Oh, so you want to, you're asking me personally? Either personally or kind of in the work that you do with your clients. Yes, I'll use a client example, then I'll share a personal example. Um, so I have a client I work with. 
And one of her challenges was advocating for what she wanted in a relationship. So she would be in a relationship and she would always be looking at the other side and she would constantly be like, but I know if I say this, it might upset them or it may make them feel uncomfortable. And this is the thing we're talking about a moment ago, right? It's okay. Like I always say like in a relationship, healthy friction is a part of it. You know, but, con- but healthy friction you need in a relationship to make that relationship grow because you're not going to agree on everything. You're not going to see everything the same way. But if you can learn to get and master that part, it makes your relationship journey a lot easier. So she wasn't comfortable. And so we went round and round and round. And I started showing her a pattern. And the pattern was like, because she was not advocating or saying what she felt, it was giving her angst. It was giving her anxiety. It was making her keep continue to meld into like what this person wanted, but it was taking her further and further away from what she wanted. So mm-hmm. she wanted more of a commitment. And the person really was like on the fence about commitment. And I'm like, what do you have to lose? You're, you know what you want. If this person isn't willing to give that to you, if they don't have a plan or they're just not on the same page, it's going to hurt. But at least you know it now versus two, three, five years into it. Mm-hmm. So she, so I have clients, like, I'm going to be honest that don't always listen, which is fine because it's, it's a process, right? Mm-hmm. It may take many times because, because again, we built these habits over years for people to come to a conclusion, like, okay, I now see it. And initially she did, initially she just kept going down that path and it just got worse, worse and worse. And then finally the relationship ended and she said, I, I got tired. I wanted to know like where it was going. And I finally became aware it really wasn't going anywhere. And I said, we talked about this, like, even though um, you were hurt from this process, you're actually freed up. So I think it's it's looking at things as opportunities because sometimes in that moment, nope, it's not going to feel good when you have invested time and energy into something, you know, a relationship. And you're like, I think this is going to go this way. And it doesn't go that way. I've been there many times. Um, but in the end, it's actually a blessing because when that door closes, it forces you to kind of look ahead. Um, and as far as myself, when I think of self-love, like, I just think of the fact that like, it was so hard for me. Like I wanted to please people. I wanted everyone to come together. That's one of my strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. because when you want everyone to come together, you're constantly looking at the other side of things, which is why I could coach that client because I, I could relate to that. Like you were like, okay, I want to keep things easy. I want to keep things peaceful. Um, but what I've learned is that it's about timing. And it's about the way you communicate the message and it's okay to be uncomfortable and let that discomfort settle for a minute. Because on the other side of that is comfort because you have at least gotten out how you feel. I mean, there's a lot of, um, I don't know if you read the book, The Body Keeps Score. I have it right now actually here with me. It's one of my next reads. Yeah. So excellent. So it talks a lot about trauma and what it does to the body and how the body doesn't forget things that you've been through. So a lot of times when people are developing diseases, illness, stress, medical conditions, a lot of this is attributed to keeping things in and pushing things down. And I was really comfortable doing that for a long time, but all it was doing was harming me. And I saw the effects of it on my health. I saw the effects of it on my well-being. But what I learned is like, as I started to like pull out more of what I felt and get it out there, it was a release. And it's still something I constantly have to work on. So if someone's listening to this and they're like, but I just can't do it. It's like taking just incremental steps, those opportunities where you see, okay, if I say this, it's really going to help me feel better. It's going to help me advocate for myself. If you look at it as empowering yourself and then think about the benefits of it to you, the benefits to your health, because literally it affects your health when you hold all this down. I watch my client go through it. I've been through it, like where there's this, this churn, this angst. And until you kind of just really say, okay, I gotta, I gotta advocate, because, because at the end, the the this is the positive. You show up as a better person, a better partner, a better mom, a better sister, a better friend. But when you try to push through something that you don't feel or that's not comfortable, people feel it and they're like, what's what's happening here? So it's either you just <laughs> you get it out or you keep pushing it down. And we know with that book, the body keeps score. People want to, you know, want to check it out. It's, it's not good for your health, physically or mentally. So that's how I've learned personally. And then just how I've observed even my clients learning it, uh, that, 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 that is an act of self-love to, to advocate, to empower, to, to have that, you know, comfortable conversation because that uncomfort, that discomfort is temporary in a way, if you can have that conversation, even though it doesn't feel, it feels very counterintuitive, but it's actually very helpful. 
Definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I can relate to what you just shared. And I used to kind of bottle things up. And I would always have to wait until Nate kind of came to me and said, is something wrong? And he's very good at acknowledging that. I don't think I'm very good at hiding if something is off or wrong anyway. But now I've been much more proactive at, hey, can we talk about something? Or, hey, I noticed this. Do you have a minute? You know, and even just that, there's still probably more that I could do and grow in it. But instead of having him always need to come to me, my act of self-love and then love for the relationship is getting to speak my mind or getting something off my chest, of course, in a timing where he's able to receive it and in a kind way as best as I can. You know, there's there's ways to have those conversations. But I think right. that sometimes we make self-love into this whole big like bubble bath spa day thing. But really, it can just be about letting something off your chest that you've been carrying and want to talk to someone about. Yeah, I so you hit my nerve there because like you do see people, oh, just go treat yourself, go do this. But I'm like, self-love is so many components of yourself. It's not just like taking care of yourself like in a physical way or doing something that pleases you in a physical way. It's doing things that please you emotionally and mentally. Yeah. And I like what you said about like how your 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 significant other approaches you and you're like, okay, I gotta like let this out. And how there's a little, you know, you're getting you're working on that, right? Because it reminds me of a, of a balloon. It's like a lot of times we just let things build, 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 and and we just, you know, we literally vomit everything out. And your partner's like, where did that come from? And versus like, if you could just release a little bit at a time, you had a balloon in your hand, you release a little air at a time. It's a little more, it's more sustainable, right? But the pop always is jarring because it's just like, whoa, where did that come from? Um, but I like that you are learning, you know, to, to express. That's good. Yeah, it's something that I didn't necessarily see modeled. And so that's why it's taken me. I mean, me and Nate have been together for six years and hopefully for many more. So it, there's always <laughs> more practice, but it's just comparing back to where we were. And I'm sure you have many examples of that in oh, your yeah. marriage where you're like, "Ooh, I remember how we used to do that. And we've gotten way better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll give people a really good one. So like my husband, I learned is a um, a person who processes things more. And I'm a person wants to solve through things quicker. Mm -hmm. And so at first I was like, I would push like, come on, like, what are you thinking? And that was not effective. It was not working. And, you know, as time went on, I just, I started observing and like, you know, you got like people come to us to talk to people. I have people I talk to, to help me too. I feel like that's the other piece in a relationship. It's okay to use resources. Yeah. It's so much easier. Like we try to go at these things by ourselves, but when you engage people where this is their area of expertise, they can give you that like objective perspective that can really help ramp your learning, right? Shorten your learning curve in relationships or help you identify blind spots. So anyway, we would have these discussions. And so the person said, you know, from what I've observed and what you've shared to, with me, it seems as though like your husband might be a processor because he comes back and he mentions things, but he's just not doing it as quickly as you would like him to do it. And so I observed and I sat back and I was like, he's right. Like my husband's a great listener and he would come back. It might be a week later or a couple of days later. And he would say, Hey, I, you know, da, da, da. And he would repeat. And I said, Oh, he is listening. So I had to get that out of my mind. He hears me, but he's his own person and he's not going to operate the same way I operate. And that's actually a good thing because sometimes there's things that do need to be solved a little quicker. And sometimes there's things that could benefit from being processed longer and so I really had to learn that style of communication. But once I figured it out, I, I learned how to really like truncate my message or like, you know, make it more digestible, not throwing so much out there or really giving him time to process it, then coming back and adding to it. And it just made our friction a lot, our, like I call our healthy friction has made it easier. It doesn't mean it's always easy because I just feel like there are touchy topics in the relationships and they, they are just triggering. Mm -hmm. I don't care how you present it. But we're not, like I said, we're not robots. When, as soon as you say certain words, people have different reactions to it. They get, you know, sometimes they get really caught up in semantics. But the point is, I think learning the timing of how to present it, learning your partner's style of how they can receive the information really can make a difference in how you can work through that, you know, conflict. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that also kind of perfectly leads to the next thing I wanted to talk through, which is a little bit more about the strategies that you most like to teach or bring forward to your clients. And because you go by the love strategist, I feel like it would be great to talk through some of those. And 
we don't have to give a specific amount, but maybe like top two or three that you think are common across most relationships that people could benefit from? Yeah, I think like communication is super important, but I think, you know, one thing I've learned in just my work is that it's really creating emotional intimacy space, like Mm -hmm. a safe space for people to be able to communicate. So we talk a lot about communication, but I think the reason people struggle with communication is because of like their past experiences with communicating. So maybe they were forthright about something or maybe they were vulnerable and someone laughed at them or someone came back and brought that information back to them repeatedly, mm-hmm. um, kind of throwing it back in their face or maybe they had that, that negative experience with it. I think each time you get in a relationship with someone, you have to curate that safe space. And that means like being curious about your significant other. It means asking questions about how they were raised and, and, and you know, what, how did their, they watch people in their family resolve conflict? Um, what are their value systems? Um, so I think one strategy we don't think about is just really looking, even if you don't feel comfortable asking questions, just observing. So as we're dating someone, we are going to be at some point, hopefully introduced to their family. And as you watch them around their family, you will pick up tons of cues of how they operate in a relationship, um, how they communicate, how the family navigates difficult you know, topics that will give you insights. And then you can ask some follow-up questions. Um, I think that we don't ask enough questions when we're in relationships. And even, you know, I, I'm fortunate to like be a part of a lot of multi-decade marriages in my family. So my parents were married 57 years, wow. grandparents 60 years, and aunts and uncles 40 plus years. So I observed a lot and I was picking up a lot organically. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was kind of like, okay, they were showing me that love was possible and that you could have this happy, healthy, rewarding relationship. But they, I also saw the other parts too, right? Um, so I think one strategy I would just say is really being aware of people in their origins and how that aligns with your origins. It doesn't mean you have to come from the same place. It doesn't mean you have to have the same experience because that's often not going to happen, but it's just having an awareness of it because once you have that awareness, it'll help you understand and see how you guys can either inter- be interconnected or where there might be some opportunities for you guys. So that's one thing. Um, And then I think the other piece um, with couples, I'm trying to think that I see, it's just like alignment of values. Um, Mm -hmm. I think people have different things that they categorize as important in their relationships. And that list could look really different. And I think it's important to ask about those things before it gets serious. You know, like what what part does spirituality play in your life? Is it formal or is it informal? How do you feel about having children? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about blending families? You know, if you're at a an older stage of your life, um, what what point does money play in your life? Like, are you a person that's satisfied once you hit this level? Or are you someone that's super achievement oriented where it's just gonna, you're continually gonna be going for a goal? I think like having these conversations earlier and seeing where you align could save you a lot of time and energy, as you know, Sarah, <laughs> because sometimes, you know, you get in something and you're in it, you're like, oh, this is great. And then you realize you're just on two different pages. And it's not that you can't come together. I just think relationships are challenging in general, even when you're aligned. Mm-hmm. So you just gotta, you gotta see like how you really need to see how things line up for someone. And it is similar in your mind as theirs. And I, and, and what I like is the way people are dating now, there was some um, research that was out there that people are really being more intentional about asking the more difficult questions. Like, do you want children? Where do you see family as far as your priorities? You know, what does spirituality look like you, to you? What are your politics? Like, these are things people would just get in relationships and just like try to manage. But the challenge is a lot of what people feel and what they align with bleeds into how they operate in mm-hmm. their life. And then when you're in a relationship and then when you have children, that's why I always would notice like, what happens when people have children? Because like that relationship like was going and then as soon as they had kids, it's like there's a divorce really quickly. Not all the time, but sometimes. And I'm like, they were together forever. But I think what happens is once kids come into play, things become more amplified. They were already there under the surface. And then those styles of how you want to live your life, they just are so different. And people are like, I don't want my kids to go that through that. I don't want my parents, my kids to be raised this way. So people then make different decisions. So I think the alignment piece and building the safe space um, for the emotional intimacy, because if you don't have that emotional intimacy, it's very difficult, again, to like communicate your needs, communicate your wants, communicate the difficult topics. 
Yeah. And I feel like that emotional safe space is a great starting off point to then go deeper into those values. And I don't know if you've read it, but I love the book Eight Dates by John and Julie Gottman because they have eight specific dates where it talks through things like finances, intimacy, family life, um, you know, spirituality. It's like there's a chapter for each of those big value-based topics and it gives you prompts and you can kind of like talk through those things. And so I know that when I first heard people talking about like understanding your values, even though it is somewhat intuitive, I don't think we're taught very much about it. And so it can be helpful to have someone guiding you through it. And like you said earlier, dip into other resources. So I think that these types of conversations, just getting curious and you don't have to be perfectly aligned, but can you accept and respect what this other person is sharing with you? Because you do have people that get together that are totally opposite, but they're just like, you know what? I know this is where they stand here. And even my parents were, were like that. My mom would be like, okay, we could just agree to disagree. I mean, that's before people would say that, like back in the day. And I just remember being like, so there's still things like you guys don't, she's like, agree on. She's like, absolutely. But they just kind of knew those were their spots, like where they were going to land differently. And they were able to navigate it because they had other things they shared in common. So it's not that opposites won't attract or can't work, but it's just like that respect to your point about it as well. Like, can you respect where this person stands? And will that, is that okay for you? Can you function in that relationship? But I love the Gottmans because they do such great um, research on relationships. I think that's a great resource for people. To just think, you know, if you're single, parenting, uh, married, you know, dating, they just have a ton of research that they've done that's documented on what works and what doesn't. So there are things you can do that will help (laughs) your relationship for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we move into the last couple of questions, is there anything else about either strategies or self-love or anything else that you want to share? I was just trying to think like, you know, as people are listening, I'm always trying to think of it from their perspective. Like, what do they, you know, want to gain um, from listening to this podcast? Because like, they're taking time out of their day to listen to us talk about this. Mm -hmm. I just think um, when I think back on my relationships, another thing that was really helpful to me, and this is my strategy mind. So why do I have a strategy mind? I'm gonna give you a little insight into that. I have a a broad business background. Mm -hmm. Um, I have an MBA, like I love, I'm a little nerd about business, Mm -hmm. um, how businesses work, how systems are tied together. So of course, in a relationship, what was Elizabeth looking for? Some kind of system. And this is not to say that relationships are all systems, but there are some systems that consistently help a relationship really work and be successful. So one thing I did do and I tell my clients to do is I put a vision list together before I met my husband because I wasn't picking well. I wasn't choosing. Remember, my gap was like choosing men that were unavailable emotionally, but they would have other attributes that I thought could balance out the emotional unavailability. When I had an aha moment that like I really, for me, I prioritize like someone who could emotionally be there because like the other things were important. Like I wanted stability. I wanted a guy that I felt compatible with and all that. But I recognized for me that it was important for me to be able to come home, have a conversation with someone who could emotionally show up in a mature way, who Mm -hmm. could be responsive, who could support me in that way. Cause that was one thing that was hard in my journey of, of dating men. So I say that to say, I created this vision list and I am, I have, I have two different views on lists. Like I think they're important, but I think people get a little crazy with them too. So I feel like there's a balance. I think the list is like your framework, your guidance of like what you ideally would like. It's not superfluous. It's not like attributes that are, you know, like, like some people say they have to be blonde hair. You know, I'm just throwing this out there. Blonde hair, blue eyes, five, seven. Mm-hmm. I'm throwing that out there for a guy. That's not the list I'm talking about. I'm talking about like real attributes that no matter what happens with time, because we're all going to get older, um, no matter what happens with finances, that these are this person's core values. Mm -hmm. So I put together this vision list. It had things like compassion, empathy, sense of humor. I put handsome on there. I don't think you should, you know, if you're going to shoot your shot, I think you should go for what you want. Um, and, but I just don't think like, I I really tried to make it about like what value systems did I feel would be in sync? I wanted someone that was family oriented. I wanted someone that was spiritual. Um, so I put all these things on my list. And so ironically, this list kind of became my little relationship Bible in a way, because Mm -hmm. when I was in a relationship or dating someone that didn't align with my values, I could see it clearer. 
I'm a visual person. I like, I'm a writer too. I, I've written a book called Love You and He Will Too. So I'm very creative, but I'm very much got, I have to see things. So this list was this constant reminder that, wait a minute, Elizabeth, this is not fitting with your, your guide, your, your guidelines or your framework of what you want. It gave me this like consistency of what to look for in my relationships. And when people deviated from that, it was much easier for me to say, you know what, this might not be for me. Mm -hmm. And so I created this list. So I know it's a long story, but long story short, when I met my husband, when I looked at this list and I really, at that point, I already had the list kind of embedded in my head. I was like, man, this guy really lines up. I don't think I would have been able to see it clearly, honestly, mm -hmm. because there was a lot of distractions, right? There were other people, but it was like, I'm like, no, they're not showing up like him. Like he really cares. Like mm -hmm. he would call, we, you know, first start talking, check in on me. And it was like a conversation that was new to me, like a real conversation, not a like, hey, can I come hang out? Can we go here? But like, hey, what's on your mind? Mm -hmm. Conversation. What are you thinking? What do you think about this? And I was like, this is different. And then later on, I found out after we were married, my husband also had a list. Mm -hmm. So he had his list of like what his vision was for his partner. Mm -hmm. And he would keep it. I never knew this like to after we were married. And so I was like, wow, that's very interesting. And, I'm, and so I say that to people to say that like sometimes to get clarity. That's why I encourage people to journal. That's why I encourage people to go back and ask questions because self-reflection is a super powerful thing that we often underestimate. But a lot of times just to get yourself over a hurdle, you have to remind yourself of what you want to achieve. And sometimes visually seeing it or seeing that you are making progress can be very powerful to you continuing down that, that road. So that would be my extra bonus tip. I love that. That's so well said. And I also think too, and I don't know if you would resonate with this or agree is that if you're already in a relationship, you can still set visions for how you want to grow with that person, you know, like having those conversations and checking in and making sure that you're kind of having somewhat of a shared vision. Of course, you can each have your own individual dreams and goals, but having that shared relationship vision, I think can be so helpful and just working on things as a unit can be powerful. Oh my God. Yes. Like you know, if you think of a business, it always has a vision, a mission and goals, right? But sometimes in our relationships, we don't think that way. So I, my, my dad and mom were very, was very fortunate. Like they passed, uh, my dad passed last year, my mom a couple of years ago, and they were just amazing uh, human beings. But one of the things my dad used to do for our families, we had like a vision or a mission for the family and a way we operated and we had certain principles. And it's funny, like you don't realize how these things are linked until later in life. And I, I can easily say, okay, yeah, that was something our family really focused on doing um, and presenting ourselves in, in this way, because this was one of our core values. And I think when we get in relationships, it's not that it has to be this formal business plan, because people, some people will say that's corporate, mm -hmm. but I think it's giving you something to look forward to, something to work towards. Mm -hmm. um, the couples that I see that have longevity in their relationships, they are always like working towards something, whether informally or formally together. Like mm -hmm. I know a couple right now that's been married almost 30 years. And the guy was telling me, he said, the way that I'm keeping myself motivated and my wife too, is we have this list, this retirement post list of things we're going to do. And we're always planning it. And then we try to do something celebratory to move towards that goal. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's so clever because that's, again, just like you said, they're working together towards a shared purpose. And I do think that's one thing couples that last longer have in common. They have some shared purposes of things they want to create or curate together. And you can make that so customizable to what you guys want to do. But I think it gives the relationship like more energy and more purpose. So I love you saying that, like just having some shared goals and it's okay if you're in a relationship to kind of look at that and, and create that. Yeah, that's beautiful. What a lovely, you know, just message that both of your parents left you and getting to now embody that in your own work. And then also I'm sure in your family. So that's really powerful and going on the thread of always having something to look forward to. Uh, my grandpa, we just celebrated his 90th last year and he gave a speech and he said, the way to have a long life is to always have something to look forward to. And I think that can be applied in your relationship as well. A long relationship has that next step. So <laughs> also he sounds awesome. I, I, I could imagine everyone was like, Oh, that's true. <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> exactly. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I have one final question, which is one that I ask all my guests. And because this is the you love and you learn podcast, I'd love if you could leave 
us with one thing that you have learned about love over the years? So you just mentioned like my parents and I was so fortunate to observe that and see other people I'm showing love. And so it did teach me that it was possible, but it doesn't mean I was always making the right decisions about love. So I want people to think about that. Like sometimes we can be around things that are good, but still not make the connection. And then we could be around things we know we need to change and it could be hard for us to make the connection. So I want people to have that faith in themselves that the first step is like, you're here, you're listening. That means you have a curiosity about this. This means you have an interest in it. That's the first step. Don't lose that curiosity. Um, Similar to what Sarah said about her grandfather, he's like, continue to create things to look forward to. Like in your relationships, continue to create things to look forward to, which means looking at yourself, being self-accountable, holding that mirror up, even though it can be difficult and saying, okay, how do I shift this so that I can advocate for myself so I can empower myself? And then on the other balance side of that, giving yourself grace. And like you said earlier, Sarah, and, and I totally agree with this. This is why I, I want to say it again, giving yourself grace to do the little things to show self-love. So I hope people walk away with some ideas that can really help them to love themselves first, because again, that's the first foundation <clears throat> that you lay for your relationship. But then secondly, exercising this once you're in a relationship, which is so equally rewarding. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I know that people will take a lot away from this. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for sharing your wisdom. And if people want to know more about you and your work, where should they go? Yeah. So thank you, Sarah, for having me on the show. I totally enjoyed this discussion. It makes me a little misty. I'm just such a like, (laughs) I'm such a fanatic about like in a good way about love. Like I just, I think that once we figure these things out, it just makes the world a better place. It's almost a domino effect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to learn more about me, they can visit my website at elizabethoverstreet.com. And there you can find all my social media handles, tons of content that's free that you can you know, learn about relationship uh, questions you have. And if you have a question, you can even submit a question on my website as well. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. And they can also find your book over there and your podcast, which I'm excited to join um, in a bit. So yes. yeah, <laughs> it's been great to connect. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank and you. we'll talk more soon. All right. You're welcome. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the You Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.